Hello and welcome to episode two of this... Oh, a ticking counter is on uh, and it's gone. To episode two of this very special ESG Fitness Clients podcast. I've had great feedback from the last episode, so hopefully you will enjoy this one too. And even better than that, I have some awesome questions. So I'm actually recording this earlier in the week because your questions have been so good and I was so motivated to answer them now because I was thinking about them. Anyway, the first question is from Clara in the Commit to Six group. And she's asking if I can cover a bit more nutrition stuff on this podcast. She's curious about any benefits to fasting. And then she also notes something which is, um, which means that she's really thought about this, which is protein distribution and how important that might be during the day. So I'm going to start with the benefits of fasting, but these are quite closely linked as you will soon see. So the benefits of fasting primarily for body composition are the ease of sticking to your diet or sticking to your calorie intake. If you are someone who likes to have bigger meals, then then fasting is often quite a good tool. I personally find that skipping breakfast, especially if you're someone who's very busy or maybe doesn't enjoy breakfast much anyway, doesn't have a lot of time for it, or is just simply isn't that hungry in the morning, and waiting until later on in the day to have your first meal is quite a useful way to A, save calories, and B, mean that you can have bigger and potentially more satiating meals when you do eat, and you do have time to sit down and be mindful about eating and actually enjoy that first meal of the day, as opposed to grabbing something on the go and rushing out the door. So there's one benefit to sort of pushing back breakfast, which some people would term intermittent fasting. I'm going to speak mainly about the most common form of intermittent fasting or the most common protocol, which is eating between the hours of 12 noon and 8pm. And there are numerous benefits to this. And one of the key benefits is simply having that rule. So most people, when they go off their diet, they tend to be quite good during the day. And then it's in the evening where they're sitting around, maybe not doing very much, that they tend to mindlessly eat or mindlessly snack or think that they're hungry. And having a cut-off point, so, you know, it could be 8pm. I normally just do, I don't eat after dinner. So I won't snack after dinner. After I've had my last meal, that's my last meal, and I don't eat after that time. And initially, that will be really hard for some people because they're used to eating after that time. But after a while, it just becomes habit. And it's very easy to do. I don't even really think about eating after that time because I'm not used to eating after that time. If you can imagine, you know, you're not used to getting up in the middle of the night to eat. So it's not hard to stop yourself doing that because it's not something that you're tempted to do. Kind of the same thing happens when you set yourself these rules and you turn them into daily habits. So that's one of the benefits to fasting. Another benefit is that it can really help you control your hunger signals or more get more used to reading them. That was very, very bad English. Get more used to reading them. Um, get more in tune with your hunger and satiety levels. And it also helps you realise when you're hungry and when you're full. So, for example, you'll probably notice that you might be hungry around your usual meal times. So you might get hungry around, I don't know, whenever your normal breakfast time is. 
And that's partly to do with your circadian rhythm and how your hunger signals fluctuate during the day. But this can be changed by your habits. So as I, as I kind of just alluded to, at your usual mealtime, a, a hormone called ghrelin will increase. But it will also decrease after your usual mealtime. And a, and a good example of this, which I'm sure everyone has noticed before but maybe not considered, is if you've been, say, really hungry, uh, sorry, really busy at lunchtime let's say you had a meeting at lunchtime and you missed your usual lunchtime so now it's three o'clock and your usual lunchtime was one o'clock and you almost feel like you're past hunger like you're not hungry anymore because you're not used to eating at that time that's a good example of how your hunger will fluctuate independently of actually if you've eaten or not and intermittent fasting can be a really good tool just to get you used to feeling hunger and I guess not being afraid of hunger and knowing that hunger can pass and knowing that actually being a little bit hungry now and again isn't the worst thing in the world. So without going too much into just talking about fasting on this podcast, I think I briefly would just say the key benefits to me are A, having bigger meals, B, being more in tune with your hunger, C, being able to stick to that calorie target um and d a b c d wow that's a lot of points avoiding snacking in the evening which can be which is actually usually one of the hardest times for people to stick to their diet and that's when they need most accountability and if you just have a simple rule of i don't eat after dinner it doesn't have to be an arbitrary time cut off because there's you know the real secret behind fasting is being able to stick to that calorie allowance And there may be some benefits that I've personally found to things like productivity. But when it comes to, and we're going to touch on this in a a minute, but when it comes to your body composition, the most important thing is going to be sticking to that calorie allowance. So this moves us on to protein distribution, because if any of you are thinking about this, you might be thinking, hmm, but that means I probably only get in two, maybe three big servings of protein a day all sort of bunched into a shorter time period so isn't that gonna hamper my muscle protein synthesis for that day for example so to put that in a little bit more perspective muscle protein synthesis is maximally stimulated so by okay i've probably gone too far already muscle protein synthesis is the process of building muscle so our muscles are always in a state of flux And if we want to build muscle, we need rates of muscle protein synthesis to be higher than rates of muscle protein breakdown. So that's a good thing to consider firstly. Now, if we exercise or if we eat protein, this stimulates muscle protein synthesis. So we need about 25 grams of quality protein to maximally stimulate that response from food. Now, when I say quality protein, that's sort of distinguished by having three grams of leucine, which is an important key amino acid, which regulates muscle protein synthesis. So actually 25 grams of protein from uh, vegetarian sources tends not to maximally stimulate that. But let's say it's 25 grams of whey protein will maximally stimulate that response. Now, that's not to say that having more isn't absolutely fine and won't potentially have other benefits like reduced um, hunger, increased satiety, maybe just food preference. But hitting that 25 grams is 
what will maximally stimulate the physiological muscle protein synthesis response. So in theory, if that's the case, having 25 grams of protein in a meal or as a protein shake or maybe a protein bar or a snack four times a day would probably be optimal and this is what I would generally suggest if building muscle which is important to all of us no matter even if you think that your goal is purely fat loss trust me you want to build some muscle so that would be what would in theory on a sciencey level be the optimal protocol to build as much muscle as as possible you'd have that four times a day now the reason that you'd have it four times a day roughly you can maybe fit in five is because this is getting really sciencey but hopefully some people will enjoy this is because that muscle protein synthesis rates have to be increased and spiked but then return to baseline before they can be stimulated again so you can't just have continuously high levels of muscle protein synthesis now this is something that many sort of bro bodybuilders got into because they heard about this leucine threshold they heard about the three grams so they just started continuously drinking branched chain amino acids or what most people would know as bcaa drinks which was a complete waste of money because as i've just said you need to let muscle protein synthesis rates come back down to baseline before they can be stimulated again which is why um spacing out your meals is quite important and often why bodybuilders who are very interested in purely building muscle will have six meals a day and try and maximize that response. Now, I've said that, so why would I be saying and why do I personally fast a lot of the time? Wouldn't that sort of counteract that advice? And you're right, it actually would. But we've got to think about now the real world significance of that. And what's more important, being able to stick to my calorie allowance throughout the day and enjoying the way I eat, enjoying my meals and being more productive in my day for me, or a potentially very, very small effect, which may not even actually be measurable, that would maybe mean that I could build more muscle mass. So those are the things that you have to weigh up between, you know, what's the biggest bang for your buck what's going to influence your diet the most and what's going to make your diet easier to stick to because you may get a very small benefit to trying to fit in six meals a day and hitting 25 grams of protein and hitting your leucine threshold but if your goals are to build a bit of muscle and to lose a bit of fat you probably don't need to go to that extent and actually going to that extent may be detrimental because at the end of the day adherence over time is what's going to be important and if you can't stick to this diet over time, you're not going to get results. And I absolutely could, if I wanted to, and I prioritised it, get in six meals a day and really focus on maximising that potential response. But I don't personally think for me and my goals, it's worth that investment. So you have to weigh things up as to what is worth the time and effort investment for you. And also the cost, you know, that's a lot of protein spread out through the day. Who's got time to make six meals? who does that practically fit into their life also think about if you're being maybe potentially you know some being I guess being selfish to some extent is important but if that's really affecting your family life your work life your social life um, and your relationships you know eating six times a day and committing to yourself like like a bodybuilder would is that necessary for your goals for me absolutely not for you it might be but I think that's something that you need to step back and consider and also know that you can get 
absolutely incredible results not doing that, still having a social life and having good life balance, which is exactly what I try and do for all you guys. And if I thought that you needed to do that, I would let you know. So don't worry if I haven't told you to do that. Moving on, I have a question from Jeanette Turner, which is a really cool question. She says, I'd like to know if my increase in protein is what's making me feel fuller and have more energy. Although I'm not a veggie, I'm not a meat lover. I ate a lot of fish and eggs before, but now I'm eating a lot more chicken. Um, Whatever it is, I feel great. Uh, There could be numerous reasons for that. It could be that you've kind of refocused because you've started the Commit to Six program. It could be that you're you're thinking about your nutrition more and you're fueling your workouts better. So there, there are various reasons, but I think one thing to touch on about feeling fuller would be something that's quite interesting or, or that I find as a geek quite interesting. There is a connection between your gut and your brain and this is part of the of your hunger regulation. So what tells you when you're full or when your brain's asking for more energy. And part of this connection is um, how far down your digestive tract food gets. Now two things that make their way pretty far down your digestive tract and then obviously give these signals back to your brain to tell them that there's lots of food here we're absolutely fine we don't need more food you can turn off hunger signals are protein and fiber so that's that's one reason that having a higher fiber or a higher protein diet can keep you fuller for longer and there's actually quite an interesting little hypothesis about obesity and our rates of protein intake in our diet which I think may have some small merit, but it's more just an interesting thought. So this is called the, I don't know, I think it's something like the, the protein obesity hypothesis. And anyway, it's um, the thought process that because we're eating less protein in our diet, hunger isn't being switched off because those signals are still, um, those hunger signals are still high because we're not eating enough protein. Or maybe it Okay, it's less so that we're not eating enough protein, but it's more so that your body, let's let's look at it like this, your body is craving X amount of protein. Now, previously, when we had maybe a more um, natural diet, shall we say, or less processed foods, let's put it that way, you could reach that protein level without that many extra calories. But now when you look at your typical protein sources, there may be loads and loads of extra calories with them. So for example, um, fatty burgers or chicken nuggets and things like that, that if you're trying to get your protein amount from that with all the additives and all the extra calories that come with that, you have to eat more calories to reach that same protein level that your body is craving, which is quite an interesting thought process. I don't think it's the answer to the obesity epidemic, but it could be one of many things that may play a role in that. Hmm. An interesting thing to ponder. Anyway, I have another question which is about grip strength, which I know is something a lot of people struggle with and actually something I struggle with, but I didn't really realise that I did until I started using straps because I always kind of thought, oh, do you know what? If I can't like grip onto it, then it's obviously too big a weight or I should just develop my grip strength and the only way to develop my grip strength would be to keep lifting without straps because then I'll be able to lift these weights that you know that sort of thought process but I'm willing to admit that I think I was pretty wrong to do that especially when we're looking at big muscles like back 
So I only really use straps on back day, which is big pulling motions or for my pull workouts or maybe to hold a, um, a deadlift or a stiff leg deadlift if I'm doing hamstrings. But I found it has completely changed the way that I train my back because realistically your grip strength, your small hands, if you're a woman, maybe um, pretty small muscles down the lower part of your arm, that is the limiting factor when you're trying to lift on your back without straps. However, your back muscles are are pretty damn big. I mean, don't want to blow my own trumpet, but my lats are huge. No, I'm joking. Oh, anyway, I hadn't really realised, but what was limiting me a lot in how much I could lift was uh, my grip strength. So being able to strap, use straps to lift heavier weights means that you can load those big back muscles, which are more than capable of being loaded to a higher extent meaning that they can be put under more stress, meaning that they can grow bigger and you can become stronger. So I would definitely say that if you are finding that you're limited by your grip strength in the amount you can lift, or even if you're not finding it, because I I didn't, I don't know, I didn't really think that I was until I started using straps and I was like, wow, I can lift a hell of a lot more than I thought that I could lift and I can load these muscles and work them a hell of a lot more than I have been. So that would be um, a good tip if you are finding that you think you can lift more. Or maybe even just try it. You know, straps aren't that expensive. I'm pretty sure I got mine for six quid on Amazon or something. So it's definitely worth investing in them. And and I found especially for dumbbell rows was a real game changer for me. Another thing I wanted to touch on today, which wasn't a question, but more just an observation from the group, was how amazing people have been about not waiting for motivation. I saw quite a lot of posts this week saying things like, oh, I didn't feel like going to the gym today, but I did it and now I feel amazing. Or maybe even I didn't have a good day today. I didn't have a particularly good workout, but I got it done. And do you know what? Some days you won't feel amazing, but those are the days that matter. Your best days are all well and good and it's great to have those excellent days where you feel really highly motivated, where you lift PBs in the gym, where you've got loads of energy. But really, the days that matter are the days that you do not want to go to the gym, where you can't be bothered, where everything feels a bit heavy, where you'd rather stay at home or you'd rather not stick to your diet. Those are the days that are going to get you results because you will not always be motivated and people rely far too much on motivation and that is why they lack results and in turn that is why they lack motivation because there's nothing more motivating than seeing results and seeing the rewards of your hard efforts but you have to put in those hard efforts even on the days that you don't want to and that's the real secret behind getting results in fitness in health in exercise and body composition but really in kind of everything in life without going too deep but The answer to most things that are worth having is delayed gratification. You need to put in the work now to get the results later. And there's a brilliant example of that is health, fitness and exercise, because you won't see the results of eating a salad or sticking to your calories the next day. You won't see the results of training today, tomorrow, but you will see the results as those habits pick up over time because you are the average of the actions you make and the choices you make over time. Hello, this is actually another day because this is Wednesday and I just posted up something in the group 
talking about the importance of keeping going with your morning routine and knowing that maybe you did it for the first week because it was new, it was exciting, but now you might be, you know, thinking about missing it out here and there, but how important it is to keep doing that. And Becky made a really good point in the comments about targets and daily averages. So she was talking about the step count and how it's pretty hard to hit the step count every day and that yesterday actually she didn't manage to hit the step count, but she did more than she would have had she not realised that the step count was an average. So if she'd focused on that being the ultimate goal and having to hit those steps every single day. And this is exactly why averages are a better goal than daily targets, because not only does hitting an arbitrary number exactly each day not matter, but it means that if you don't hit that, you feel like you failed and then you may as well give up because you're going to have a bad week now because you won't have hit it every single day and so you'll just start again on Monday. And that's where people fall off the quote-unquote bandwagon. So focusing on averages means that one, if you do overeat or you get less steps one day, it's not a problem because you can make that up via the rest of the week. And two, and probably more importantly here, is that you don't think, oh, screw it, I'll just continue to overeat or I'm only at 5,000 steps today, so I won't bother getting anywhere near my target because I'm not going to hit it today anyway. You think, okay, well, I went a little, over my, a little bit over my calories, but I'll stop now because I can still hit that weekly target. Or you think, oh, I will get in some extra steps, even if I know that realistically I'm not going to hit 12,000 today or whatever your target may be. So remembering that your body composition is dictated by your actions and behaviours over time, not daily targets. It just so happens that we live in a world where we kind of revolve around this 24-hour time period. But your energy balance doesn't just magically reset at midnight. So that was a really, really good point that Becky made and I thought was useful to elaborate on a little bit here. Another excellent question from Clara was, is one 60-minute workout any better than two 30-minute workouts? So to give this a little bit of context, Clara knows that she's only going to have about 30 minutes to work out on her lunch break, wondering if that is long enough or if she should do one sort of longer session instead. And I would argue that actually two times 30-minute sessions are probably going to be better. And that's for a number of reasons. So the first one is that your concentration and your focus for 30 minutes is going to be far higher than it is for an hour. And I love the gym. But after an hour, my concentration does waver a little bit. My focus isn't as good. But I know that if I only had 30 minutes, I really focus. I don't faff around. And you'd be surprised actually how much of a session you can get done in that 30 minutes if you're focused. The second point would be your effort's going to be higher. So you've got a bit more energy. And the third point would be that muscle stimulation is going to be more frequent. So if you're doing two 30-minute sessions, I'm assuming that those are on different days, that means you're stimulating that those muscles more frequently. And then that sort of leads on to my last point, which is that recovery is going to be better as well. So muscle stimulation is a really important thing to think about. And often, less so in the workouts I have given you because I have programmed them amazingly well, but often when people do, I don't know, say like a chest day workout, 
they've already really maximally stimulated the muscle hypertrophy response from your chest muscles after let's say maybe about six sets of an exercise on chest now the extra work that they're doing may be adding volume but it's not necessarily gonna improve hypertrophy if you're not recovering from that volume so a lot of people term those sort of like extra reps that you do or extra sets that you do after you've maximally stimulated the muscle hypertrophy response as, as like quote unquote fluff reps and potentially not really needed so to conclude on that question I'm actually a very big fan of maybe shorter but more frequent sessions which mean that you're stimulating those muscles more frequently so I would very much suggest that you do do those uh, lunchtime workouts Clara there you go and another great question that we had is from Lisa so she says I know that you can spot reduce fat but are there exercises that I can do to reduce my love handles so you've kind of answered your own questions there uh, or your own question even there because no you cannot spot reduce fat and there aren't particularly exercises that are going to mean that you will lose fat more from those areas however you can build muscle under that area which might make it look leaner now somewhere that's quite hard to do that is around your love handle area and actually where we lose fat from is going to be mostly down to our genetics and most women are going to have I mean I'm just using this as an example a good example of this is that most women are tend to be a pear shape so they store more fat around their thighs their hips um, maybe bingo wings and most men tend to be an apple shape so they store more around their middle and this is actually really good for us women because it's much safer to store your fat around your bingo wings and your thighs than it is around your middle because um, storing fat around your middle means there's more fat around your organs which means that you are at higher risk of developing cardiometabolic disorders such as type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and that's one of the main reasons that men are at a higher risk of these diseases than women so Lisa in answer to your question no there's probably not specific exercises that I would suggest to get rid of your love handles and whenever you see these if you've seen them on I don't know Instagram or some fad thing there's really no evidence to back that up so don't be fooled by that um, and I would just focus on the factors that we know that are going to help you get leaner stronger feel better and more confident in yourself and lose body fat and that is hitting your step count getting your calories on point eating enough protein and getting good workouts in which you, I know that you're already doing so just try and be a bit patient and unfortunately for some people that's their last place that they tend to store but uh, tend to lose body fat is around their love handles so it might just be a bit of a stubborn body fat area for you but it will come off if you persist so do do that and a second note that you asked about Bulgarian split squats and if it was okay to have your toes on the bench during split squats I'm going to say yes it's okay as long as range of motion isn't affected but do post a video in the group and I will check form just to make sure that you're doing them in the right way and that form's on point and we're not going to have any injuries there. So that wraps up today's uh, podcast or this week's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed 
and I will speak to you next week. Thank you very much for all of the awesome questions. This week is check-in week as usual for my one-to-one clients, but it's also check-in week for the Commit to Six group. So I'm excited to see what's happened in the last two weeks and hear about all your progress. And I will be speaking to you all individually over the weekend. So I look forward to that. Peace out. Good Lord, that was a very strange way to end the podcast. And I apologize for that.